welcome everyone to this uh, week's edition of Commercial Real Estate 101. It's great to see you all this morning, uh, or this, I guess, midday for some of you, maybe morning, depending if you're tuning in on the, the West Coast. Uh, but we're, we're excited to have you guys uh, tuning in. We're also live on Facebook, so hello to everyone on Facebook as well. Uh, today, we actually have a great guest, um, and I'm really excited to dive into our conversation. His name is David Poline. He owns a uh, firm that works with uh, essentially recruitment of the commercial real estate industry, and we're going to be diving into a lot of concepts related to the recruitment process and really what you know employers are looking for in this pre-COVID and during and then after COVID. So excited to host you, man. Thanks so much for having me, Raphael. It's uh, I've seen a number of your uh, other events and was very honored and, and excited to have gotten the invite to join. Thank you so much. Oh, sure, yeah, and we we actually both know <laughs> Judy Judy Fox, um, and so I've I've obviously you know seen you through you know your collaboration with her. So I know you're going to be providing a ton of value to the group, and I know that the people who are here are going to gain some value from it. So. Real quick, what we usually do when we first interview people is to get learn a little bit more about them as an individual. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and really what got you into commercial real estate? Sure. Um, so I actually, you know, coming out of college, I really had no, um, no knowledge about the commercial real estate industry beyond the fact that my father was a recruiter in the business. So I was around it in a kind of a peripheral way. Um, I was prepared to go into banking uh, in New York after graduating in, in 1998 and uh, just wasn't feeling excited about it. It just felt kind of like the somewhat of a default position that people coming out of business will take. And um, my dad made me aware of a company down in the Tampa State Pete area called Sembler, um, who had been looking for years to hire somebody as, as kind of a rotating intern coming out of college. And uh, my dad just said, you know, we don't place people like that. And it just so happened that year, Craig Share, the CEO, asked him if he knew anyone that year. And I guess, well, I, I only know one person. That's my son who's graduating. So I, I was a little hesitant, you know, coming coming out of the Northeast. I was, I was up in Philly. The thought of moving to St. Petersburg, Florida, you know, wasn't at the exact top of my list at that point, but got a chance to go visit the office in like mid-February of that year, which was a, a nice change of, uh, of environment and weather just saw what they were doing similar with as it was at that point embarking on two really cool uh, lifestyle projects Centro Ebor in Tampa and uh, base they walk in uh, St. Pete just felt a ton of energy of what that was going on in that company and decided to take a chance and move down there that's awesome yeah yeah and and I feel like a lot of people in the commercial business come from not all everyone, but some come from different backgrounds. Like I, I'm an, I'm an engineer by trade. I got, I came from the software business. I met people who were in banking. I met people who were insurance. I met people who were in all different types of industries that eventually made their way into the commercial space. So I'm sure your story resonates with some people in the audience because of the fact that, you know, you don't really choose. I mean, you can choose the commercial real estate industry, but there's some times where it just, you kind of fall into it. And that's, I'm sure you, you, you totally right. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, with, you know, with a little bit of help, of course, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say oh, that yeah. it wasn't, uh, you know, w without that push probably wouldn't have, uh, have, have ended up in that direction, but you know, it was, was a great decision. And then, you know, worked in that, in that world for about five years, had always wanted to go to law school um, after about that five-year point, um, you know, kind of pulled the, the ripcord and, and, and went back to school as a real estate lawyer for a little while. And then eventually meandered my way to, uh, to the, the recruitment space. So it's been an interesting path and, and, and kind of, I guess my lesson that, you know, people ask me about is, you know, just because you start in one area doesn't mean you can't pivot and pivot maybe even multiple times. Um, that's, that's the beauty of, uh, you know, these opportunities that we have in front of us. You just never know where they're going to take you. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with that statement. So you, you say you're working in the recruitment business for commercial real estate. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means and maybe walk us through a day in the life of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, Polling Associates is a, uh, an executive search, recruiting, headhunting, you know, whatever term you like, uh, firm that uh, specializes in the commercial real estate world. What that means is companies uh, who operate in that space, whether they're uh, owners, developers, landlords, investors, uh, even some retailers, some third-party companies, 
who are looking to hire, you know, very specific needs for their company and either don't have the time, the resources, the energy to engage in that process alone, uh, will hire us uh, in order to help them meet those needs. And so our job essentially is to pair, you know, talented individuals in this industry um, with opportunities that make sense for them. So whether it's, you know, somebody who's in, in leasing, property and asset management, development, construction, um, our job really is to help the company locate and find the best person that they can hire for a given position. And so my day is full of talking to clients who are telling us about their specific needs, helping them with crafting job descriptions. It's, um, you know, working and, and calling individuals who either we have a hunch might be interested in a role or maybe you're not even looking at all and just wanting to see, hey, if you were presented with this opportunity, would you make a leap? And then from there, it's just, you know, it's, it's essentially working out a deal. Um, it's, it's helping guide them through the interview process, uh, through an offer process, helping them give notice at their existing company if they're having to, to leave their position and then helping with the onboarding uh, in their new role. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. And, and you obviously, like you said, you work with all different types of businesses within the commercial space. So I'm assuming you also, you work on the, you work on the brokerage side. You also work potentially with developers, investors, et cetera. So that's a pretty unique, you know, experience level. Cause again, an, an investor is probably going to be looking for something different than maybe a brokerage will, or are, are there some corollaries there between roles? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, within the, I mean, within the brokerage space, you know, I, I will say our, our experience probably is a little bit more limited there than in other areas. And I think the reason for that is there's so much networking that goes on among brokerage firms, people who, you know, might've been at CBRE who were interested, you know, they hear about an opportunity at Cushman or at JLL, sure. you know, they may be able to make that leap kind of on their own. Um, whereas, you know, somebody, if it's a, you know, a, a developer or, you know, a publicly traded REIT, um, you know, they may, you know, use us to help them identify candidates that either are or aren't located in that market. So th there can definitely be overlaps in terms of some of the qualities that the people have that are going into those different positions, but it's, it's all, you know, usually comes down to the job spec itself. And then, you know, if it's a, if it's, you know, more of a brokerage oriented role, somebody who's going to be comfortable in a kind of commission framework. Yeah. hundred percent. true. So, so one thing I wanted to ask you was related to how has the employment landscape changed during this period of time? Because I imagine prior to COVID, I'm the landscape was completely different than what it is today. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about how that landscape shifted through this, this pandemic situation that we find ourselves in? Yeah, it's, I mean, it really has, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been whiplash kind of twice. Um, we went from, you know, the end of 2019, January, February, 2020, uh, feeling really good about, um, you know, the job market. There were tons and tons of opportunities. It was challenging to find people. And then literally starting, call it March 15th, everything we were working on just done. It was just, it was like somebody had just taken a, you know, the, the spigot outside and turned it off. Um, gradually, I think as people, we got through 2020, the year kind of went on, we started to sort of figure out how to live our lives in, in this pandemic world. Um, some of the roles came back, uh, some didn't quite yet. Um, and then you know, what we started noticing is each quarter, starting really in the fourth quarter of 2020 into 21, by the time we got into the spring, a lot of, we had almost whiplash back the other way where everybody decided, you know what, um, we're coming out of this, we need to hire. Probably, you know, what ended up happening, I think, was a lot of people left our industry. Um, you know, a lot of people either took an early retirement if they were of that age. Um, they just felt like they were going to move into something else. And so I think we're finding ourselves now, at least from what we're seeing, with a little bit of a shortage in terms of people to fill the roles that are now open and available. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, anytime there's a, I mean, again, real estate's cyclical. So in, in a period of economic depression, which in, in, in was unavoidable, really, given given the, the scope of the pandemic situation we've, we've, we found ourselves in. I mean, naturally, there's going to be some attrition in in the industry. So but but I, I think, as you probably imagine, as you probably agree that over the next, you know, six to 12 months, as we've been continuing to open up, 
these types of opportunities are, are beginning to come come about again. So uh, hopefully that bodes well for you. And I know it's been boding well on our end on the brokerage side. We've been we've been seeing a lot of activity, in particular on the investment side, uh, with people just looking to place their money places. So it does yeah, it does feel that way. I feel like it seems like people put their money kind of on hold, you know, for a long time, and and now are back at it and, and interested in and figure out where they can where they can invest it. Sure, definitely. So when you're looking at you know potential candidates for some of your your clients. What are some of the top characteristics that that you look for in these potential candidates? And obviously, it's going to depend on what type of client you're working with. But if you can kind of give us a broad overview of maybe, you know, just different examples, that'd be great. Sure. Um, I mean, I think really the two main categories that we see in terms of, you know, how to, to really well, you know, do a good match between the position and the individual is going to come down to, um, you know, skill set and experience kind of on one hand. And then sort of personality and some of the intangible stuff on the other hand. So, you know, immediately, you know, our first sort of pass in terms of as we look through candidates for a role is, is identifying, you know, does this person either have they done elements of this job? Do we have, do we see evidence of that in their resume or on a deal sheet? Um, or does it appear as if they're on a trajectory where they're working their way up to being able to do a job like that? And that, and that's, relatively straightforward. I mean, again, the resume is important to, to, you know, accurately portray what someone's done. So you've got to be able to tease out and sometimes read between the lines um, a little bit to make sure that those skills line up. But once you kind of get through that initial pass, then the question is, okay, you know, hopefully as a, as a recruiter, we have a good sense of kind of the culture, um, the type of organization that we're working with, what type of people, you know, they generally have success there. Um, and then, and then identifying, you know, whether we think this candidate is going to match, uh, match that personality, be a good fit in terms of, you know, will they get along? Is it a very sort of highly entrepreneurial need to change on a dime kind of place? Is it more structured? Is it, um, you know, you're going to get a lot of support and a lot of guidance, or are they just going to throw you to the wolves and you got to figure it out? So all that stuff, I think, goes into sort of the evaluation phase of, of understanding whether a candidate and a job are well-matched. For sure. And I'm assuming, you know, once you have that initial vetting of, of their background and resume, et cetera, you go through a process of probably sitting down with them. Do you do, you do like personality tests just depending on the job or how, how does that usually work, that process? Yeah, absolutely. So pretty much every candidate that we work with will do some type of initial screening conversation. You know, we don't necessarily portray it or set it up as an interview, but it's really a chance for us to have a conversation with them, get to know them, you know, start to get a feel of their personality, start to understand and unpack, you know, maybe what's, what's not fully clear from the resume. Um, there are some clients that do ask us straight away, you know, this is the personality assessment we like to use. Some companies, um, you know, DLC management is one in particular that's very fond of the predictive index. Um, I'm not sure if any of you are familiar, but it's essentially a kind of a, it's a personality driven assessment where it creates a profile and there are I think eight different profiles that, that you could fit under um, and, and they try to match those to whatever the job spec is to, to see if it's a good fit. Um, we've partnered in the past with a company called the, the Harrison, which is a combination of personality, but also kind of measures job preferences. So that's, a, that's one where you can kind of set a profile or a template of, of what's going to be important in that job and then see how the candidate matches up with those characteristics. So, um, yeah, again, definitely some kind of, you know, initial screen and then sometimes depending on who the candidate, the client is, you know, a personality assessment on top of that. Definitely. And the DLC, is that with Chris Ressa, I'm assuming? It is. Yeah, um, yeah. it is. They, they have... They have done extensive training with the predictive index. It's the, a really important part of their vetting process. <clears throat> Chris would tell you that anytime he ever went with his gut instinct over what the PI told him, it's been a mistake. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he's got the, the data to prove that, but, um, you know, it's an interesting dynamic because as a recruiter, you know, you're, you're not necessarily wanting companies to put up roadblocks in front of your candidates sort of before they can even make an impression. But, you know, once we kind of got used to the process with them and, and clear about how they were going to use the PI for their, 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 their vetting, um, you know, we've been able to sort of manage that a little bit better. 
For sure. And I mean, there's definitely some value in, in, in getting an understanding of how you interact with the world, right? Because there's certain people, like you said, there, there could be a very entrepreneurial type environment. And if you take the uh, one of these predictive analysis tests, I'm assuming it could tell you at least an idea of how they operate within a very chaotic or very, you know, entrepreneurial environment. Whereas, you know, someone who's a, relies on a significant amount of structure may or may not do well in that role. So I definitely yeah. think they, they probably have their place, but you're right. I think, I think the fit part is, is the huge thing. So, I mean, when I was looking at opportunities within the brokerage community, I mean, I talked to various different brokerages and from a cultural standpoint, I eventually settled on one that really aligned with what my goals were. And then all, obviously like, do you get along and can you actually in, in, interact with one another on a day-to-day -day basis and try to achieve the overall mission? And so uh, that's, that's a uh, great insight on your end. So once you have your candidate, right, you, you've kind of done the initial screening, you've had an initial consultation, and you think they'd be a good fit for a particular client of yours. Uh, what are some of the top tips you provide them before they go into the interview and kind of, you know, share some of those insights would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, the interview prep, um, you know, phone call that we do with our candidates is, is potentially one of the most valuable pieces of the recruitment kind of journey with them because um, particularly in situations where we have a good understanding of who the client is, who the individual is that's interviewing with them, you know, we can provide them with, with some important insights about their personality, about their interview style, about their, um, you know, hot button issues that are important to them, um, you know, elements of the job description that may be more important to um, you know, one interviewer versus another interviewer. And, and so really it's sitting down with them and, and going through all of those, all of those different phases. Um, you know, we talked about, we talked about Chris Russ a minute ago. Chris has a super unique interview style that's unlike anybody else that I think, you know, is out there. He, he, he likes to pose kind of sometimes a little bit outside the box questions, sometimes that can be a little provocative, um, you know, to see kind of how the candidate responds, you know, how, how do they handle being uncomfortable um, in a situation like that. And so being able to give a candidate some insight about what that's going to look like in advance, you know, can really help them uh, avoid, you know, kind of being that deer in the headlights where they're like, I, I don't know how to answer this because it's just such an unusual question. More often than not, we're, you know, we're talking about things like, you know, helping them understand, you know, that for this, for client A, it's important to really understand what the portfolio is. For client B, it's much more important to kind of be clear on sort of the elements of the job description you've done. So each prep is tailored a little bit differently for the client, but inevitably it's it's all about just helping get that candidate as comfortable as possible before an interview, which is an inherently stressful situation. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, anyone who's been through an interview can can attest to that. You know, so the more prep you have on the front end um, is is more beneficial. I mean, I've I've been in interviews where you know, they kind of give you riddles I, on the, I, I was in the software side. And one of the interviews that I did is like, Hey, here's a riddle and go on the whiteboard and try to figure it out. And it's just kind of yeah. like on the wing on winging it. And you're just like, Oh, okay. And the, the logic there is that they don't want to see you solve it. They more of it. They just want to see how you think through these, these right. kind of, you know, abstract problems. And so obviously there's method to the madness when it comes to some of these <laughs> interviews. That's awesome. Yes, definitely true. So, so one thing that I, stress on and, you know, I think is extremely important in particular, particular in today's digital age is personal branding. And especially in the commercial real estate business, where I think that we've kind of lagged behind other industries when it comes to technological, essentially ad adapting or, or adopting different technological, you know, methods, you know, especially social media and various other, uh, you know, mediums. So could you tell us a little bit about the importance of personal branding to securing some of these top roles? Sure. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, the way that that's just become hugely important um, in this day and age. And, and I mean, just you need to make the assumption that the minute your resume goes to a hiring official, the very first thing they're going to do, look you up on LinkedIn, potentially look you up on Facebook, potentially look you up on Instagram. Um, they're going to want to know who you are, what you're about, um, you know, even before they decide whether to bring you in for an interview or not these first impression pieces can really help supplement what's in a resume. Cause let's face it, a resume is a two dimensional thing. It gives you a history of the person, but it doesn't really give you a whole lot of insight into who they are as a person. What you can put on your LinkedIn profile and other social media sites 
really does a great job of helping to fill out kind of some of the picture for them and gives them a better sense of what's going on before an interview. So, you know, we are constantly advising our candidates, you know, as just as important as getting your resume up to date, you know, get that LinkedIn profile looking good as well. Get a professional headshot taken. Um, you know, make sure that your dates that you have on your different jobs, they all line up perfectly with what's in the resume. You don't want any discrepancies. Um, you know, make sure that you're giving good descriptors on what you've done at each individual stop. Um, you know, include some interests, include some things personal about yourself that that's going to give the hiring manager a more complete picture of, yeah, do I want to, you know, am I going to want to spend 10 hours a day with this person? You know, maybe if we have some common interests and things that we like and or they seem to be a well-rounded, interesting person, that's going to give you an edge over someone that doesn't have that profile. So I think, Raphael, your point is is 100% on money. It's just, it's, it's huge. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, we both, uh, prior to this, this the, the live stream, we were talking about a, a friend of ours, Judy Fox, who was kind of big, a big proponent of LinkedIn and utilizing some of the features that LinkedIn inherently has. I mean, you know, you got the featured section within your profile. If you write some articles or have a video or something like that, utilize that section because, you know, that's one of the first things that people look look at when they first go to your profile. So really, it's just an opportunity for you to have a great first impression, because like you said, an employer, as soon as they search, as soon as you get receive a resume, first place they go to is Google and they're going to look at your LinkedIn profile. They're going to look at whatever is on their, their Google search and go search your name. Sometimes you'd be surprised. You know, especially if you haven't done it in a while, you'd be surprised sometimes what pops up. So uh, yeah. definitely something to consider. It's, and, and just, just to kind of put a bow on this, there's, there's, it's a double-edged sword as well. So on the one hand, these social media sites can very much be used as a huge pro and a huge benefit, but you also need to be very careful about what's out there that may not cast you in the most professional light as well. So, you know, if you're embarking on a job search, you want to do a pretty good scrub of what you've got out there that's public. If there's some things on Instagram that, you know, you just want your friends to see, then make it private. Um, at this point, you know, the last thing you want is someone making an impression about you that may not be fair or accurate because they just saw a picture of you at spring break when you were, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so, you know, we always advise our candidates just to be very, you know, a little bit hyper aware of their, of their online presence, just to make sure what's out there and what's public um, cast them in the most favorable light. For sure. Just, just controlling, you, you know, you control your personal brand. You, you, you can choose what you show to the world. And if you can really be deliberate about it, it you can definitely have a positive impact on those that eventually search you out. So yeah, that's awesome. So we've talked about this uh, briefly before, but you know, what advice would you give to people who are looking to break into the industry? So let's say that they're a professional in some other industry, maybe it's a corollary industry, maybe it's unrelated but they're looking to break into, you know, either a development company or they're looking to, you know, get an asset management or something along those lines. What advice would you give to individuals in that, in that boat? Sure. I think really two pieces of advice really stand out to me. Um, the first is, is really being as introspective as you can and really kind of understanding yourself, the things that you like, the things that you're good at, the things that you're passionate about to really get clear on those things, because without really having that understanding of, of what makes you tick and what's important to you, it's going to be very hard for you to pivot into anything new because people are going to ask you the question, well, why, you know, why would you want to make the leap? Until you've really spent some time and, and write out notes, write out ideas. You know, what is it about myself that, you know, I love to write. I love to, you know, interact with people. I love to, the, the thrill of, of chasing a tenant to make a deal or chasing a prospect uh, if you're in sales. So, you know, Piece one is, is really an internal sort of inventory of, of who you are, what you're about. Piece number two is trying to figure out how to draw connections between your prior career and what you want your career to be in real estate. So, you know, if you're somebody that is extremely analytical and numbers oriented and that you enjoy that, um, you know, there's going to be a part of commercial real estate that's for you, uh, underwriting uh, looking at new deals, asset management, um, those are all going to be areas where you can kind of parlay a skill set that's maybe that was geared towards something completely different and move it into uh, a new area. If you're the kind of person that's, that's very sales oriented, if you're, you know, you get energy and you derive a lot of, um, you, know, you know, satisfaction from interacting with people and 
um, helping them understand a new product or a new service, you know, that might make you cut out to be a leasing person. And so think about how those connections get made so that when you're asked about it, um, it's a relatively easy conversation to kind of guide the hiring manager from your past into them being able to see you in this future role. Hundred percent, and I think I think one of the the main takeaways is a value proposition. Like, what's your value proposition? Like, if you're like you said, if you if you come from a technical background, how can your skill set benefit the employer? Because at the end of the day, that's that's why the employer is hiring you. They want to have some value from you. So, framing your 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 package as, hey, because I have this unique experience from whatever I was doing before this is how I can apply it within the business and, and essentially affect the bottom line. Um, so I think that's, that's some great advice. That's yeah, no, that you raised. I mean, that's a really great point. That's, that's taking it almost from what I was talking about in terms of, you know, being very focused on yourself, but then also thinking about it from the employer standpoint, which of course is going to be very impactful. So great, great uh, you know, thought there as well, Rafael. That's awesome. So now, now we've kind of addressed some of the new, some of those individuals that had some background in some other roles that want to transition into the, the commercial real estate industry. I was wondering if you could share some advice to those who are currently in a role, whether that's in asset management or, or working in some development company that are at a point in their career where they want to essentially take the next step. You know, what advice would you give to someone as far as, you know, seeking out some of those more, you know, VP, you know, executive roles within whatever companies that, that, that they're looking for? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, you know, I guess the first question you really kind of need to ask yourself is, you know, is there a path for me at the current company that I'm with? Um, you know, I'm at, I'm a director of asset management. I see that there's a VP ahead of me. He or she is only, you know, three or four years older than me. Um, you know, is my path blocked? Is there sufficient growth at this company that, there could be another spot that opens up, you know, that I could potentially move into, um, you know, all those kinds of questions. Or, um, you know, I'm in asset management today, but I've done a little bit of work on the development or leasing side. You know, is there a path for me to sort of kind of move and shift a little bit to a different direction to provide myself some growth? So, you know, looking at that, I think, and, and really evaluating, you know, what do I have here at my current company? Can, can I grow here if I want to? If after you know doing that analysis, your answer is no, then you know I think then looking outside becomes you know the most viable option. And so the question then becomes, as you present yourself to a potentially hiring company, you know how do I show them I'm ready for that next step? So a few things could be um, seeking out some mentorship, um, you know, leveraging connections you have, maybe people that are at the level you want to be, talking to them, understanding from them, kind of their journey and how they got from, you know, where, where they started up to the position they're now. Um, learning to find out whether, you know, are there educational or certification type programs that I might be able to enhance my resume with. Um, you know, you may not need to get an MBA, but maybe, you know, if you're on the, if on the management side, maybe becoming a, a CSM, Certified Shopping Center Manager, maybe that might open some doors. And then lastly, it's just, in, in my view is just uh, traditional networking. Um, go out and meet people, go and, and have that discussion that Raphael was just talking about, explain your value proposition, why, um, you know, why, you know, you feel like you could be, you know, the next important hire for that company and to take them in whatever area you're in to that next level. So those would be some of the things I think I would be thinking about at least at the start. For sure. And, and I'll kind of echo the, I'll echo the, uh, the tech, uh, the, the networking aspect. I mean, that's why I think LinkedIn is so huge because when I was looking at, just to give you background on me, I, 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 I studied industrial engineering and economics in college. And then after college, I was looking to get into the software business. And so I had no real software training. Uh, but you know, I knew that was where I wanted to be. So what I did is I started reaching out to people that were in positions that I wanted to be at and just, on LinkedIn and said, Hey, I just want to have a 15 minute conversation with you and just do that over and over and over and over and keep doing that and try to leverage those relationships into some other opportunities. And not only that, but you'll learn whether or not it is something you're looking to do. You know, you may have a conversation with them and be like, actually, this sounds terrible. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this at all, you know, but you, you don't know until you start, you know, talking to people who really have that, that experience and, you know, maybe, maybe you find a good fit and that person can introduce you to someone else or pass along your resume to someone else. And, Really, that's a that's the way you can that's the way yeah. business is done. You know, you'd be shocked. I think you know 
if, if you're not somebody who's ever kind of gone down that path before, just how willing people are to, to carve out the time to, to help, to have a conversation about what they do. Um, you know, I think as human beings, we just, we naturally, you know, we, we enjoy sharing and we enjoy, you know, if we have an opportunity to help people by and large, I think most people are going to, are going to take you up on that and, and sit down with you for 10 or 15 minutes and, and give you their story. And, and yeah, I think, I think that's invaluable uh, for, for also understanding, you know, whether you really want to do what you think you want to do. Yeah. And, and especially if you show initiative and then establish some sort of connection point, you know, right. like if you were in some of some of the same organizations or you were some, you know, you, you, maybe they, they had a podcast and you listen to the podcast and you, you reference something that they talked about within the podcast. Now it shows that you have some sort of interest level, some sort of engagement with that individual and, Sure. I mean, the, the, I, most people would be happy to talk to you for 10 or 15 minutes. So, yeah, no. And that, that's a great, I mean, that's a great tip, you know, not just for networking, but even going back to, you would ask me about interview preparation, um, you know, being really prepared, doing your homework, getting, getting really um, comfortable talking about a company's portfolio or um, you know, what have you, I think can, can really be a, uh, an element that, that kind of helps you stand out among the crowd and, and really push you ahead in terms of a process. Great advice. So right, we're, we're, we're about to open up to questions for the rest of the audience, because I'm sure there's definitely some questions out there. But before we do, I just wanted to ask, what are some of the best resources out there for those, for those individuals who, you know, are interested in either transitioning in the career or breaking into the industry? I don't know if you could share some of the yeah, uh, of course. journals, I mean, publications, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, you 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 started by you know hyping and talking about LinkedIn. I mean, just the 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 forums and the the different organizations that are that are have been formed on that on that platform. You know, really gives you a leg up. Um, so you know, just type in real estate you know groups, and you'll see every different possible kind you can. Um, you know, our company is always focused more on retail than maybe some of the other asset classes. So. You know, we've remained very plugged in with ICSC. Um, they've gone through a massive rebranding. Uh, I was going to refer to them as, um, as International Council of Shopping Centers, but that is not their name anymore. So um, it's, but I mean, they, they you know, they provide uh, different events. They provide different um, learning opportunities. They provide different certifications. So those, those are great resources. If you're somebody that's on the, the office or industrial side, you know, NAOP is, a, is an organization um, that, that I think can be great. Um, you know, if whatever city you're in, I know like New York city has, a the real estate board in New York, Rebney is, is a, is a very, um, popular organization for networking and, and different educational events. Um, you know, some national groups, things like urban land Institute, um, all of these organizations generally do, you know, provide at least two things. One is a job board, um, that actually posts different opportunities. And two is is networking uh, chances to to meet other members and to to really grow your your sphere of influence. For sure, yeah. And I'll add one more. CCIM is another one. Yeah. Uh, Certified Commercial Investment Member, I think, is the, the 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 actual acronym. But essentially, what it is is it's a designation that you know brokers, bankers, people in the industry seek out, and it's primarily related to investment real estate. It teaches you how to analyze investment opportunities within real estate. And they have chapters all over the nation and they usually have some sort of meetups or events that, that go on. So that's also another organization you could probably tap into and learn a little bit more about the opportunities in the industry. Yeah. So somebody in the chat, I think asked about MRICS and that I'll be honest with you is not an organization I have a ton of familiarity with. I'm assuming just from what I've heard about, I know that there's a it started out as, I guess, a group for surveyors. Um, to, I think to the extent that's your area of expertise, then, then certainly I think it could help. Um, you know, I just don't, I don't know quite as much about that as, as some of the other groups. Sure. All right. Well, I wanted to give uh, the members of, of the group right now some time to be able to ask their questions. Um, so if you guys want to, feel free to type away in the chat box. I will also be checking on Facebook. Uh, for any questions that you guys have that are for those of you guys who are watching on Facebook. So feel free to plug away. Let's see. I guess. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Andrew, of course. Um, yeah, we're always looking for, for new talent uh, here in Arizona, but my comment more than a question was going to be one of the things that we look for is 
the trainability of uh, a new recruit, kind of the steering the questions toward that, are they open to listening or are they more interested in talking? Um, how will they handle the client relationship in terms of soft communication versus knocking them over the head with a hammer? You know, we always take that approach when we're working with, with clients about educational marketing. And so they can't be educating the client if they're busy talking. So it's just kind of that concept of, um, is this somebody who's going to be open to training? Is this somebody who's going to be um, a good fit for our style with our clients? That's a great point. And I'm, I'm sure part of that is also the personality type too, I'd imagine. Right. And more, yeah, you, can, you, can you get somebody who's into the Excel and they, they'd prefer to spend all day on an Excel spreadsheet. And then you yeah. get the other individual who'd prefer to spend all day on the phone. And in this industry, we tend to need a, a mixture of both and, and a balance of learning the pros and cons of, you know, just because somebody thinks they know a little bit about real estate uh, you know, those of us who've done it for decades, it truly takes two, three years to get a basic proficiency level. And, uh, and then from there we continue growing. I mean, I'm still learning things every day. So hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why a lot of people focus on one property type, you know, I mean, you, you can almost never become an expert in, in every type of property within commercial real estate. So you're right. I mean, there's just so much to learn. So great advice, Andrew, really appreciate that. So we had a question from Shisham. I, I hope I said that right. I, I, I don't want to uh, mispronounce it, but he said, your view on prop tech technology changing the CRE landscape and its, and its effect on future job. Are technology skills getting more sought after compared to typical roles? So that's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I feel like uh, commercial real estate world, particularly on the shopping center side, is, has been one of the slower um, areas to adapt to technological changes. I think there's been a, a fair amount of resistance to, to you know, in introducing some of these new technologies and ideas. I think that tide has turned a little bit, um, maybe even a lot. I think, um, you know, the prop tech side is going to absolutely be a driver of growth within our industry. It's going to bring younger people into the industry, which I think we desperately need. It's going to bring people from different backgrounds, including technology background, um, which I think is also going to be necessary to, to make the industry more dynamic. So my, my, the short answer to you is yes, I think those technological skills will become more sought after, um, even just beyond kind of the ones that are traditionally relied on, like, you know, Excel and Argus for, for folks on the, the more analytical sides. Awesome. Great advice. All right. So uh, Stanford, hey, Stanford, he has a question or she has a question. Any pointers on standing out during the training process? So I, I guess, Stanford, I don't know if you're available to, to unmute. I, maybe just give me a little bit more clarity on, on kind of what exactly you're, you're asking there in terms of like once you're already on board and then you're doing the training work, is that kind of what you're asking about? I'm not sure if you not sure there was so so I mean yeah. I, I I guess you know if I had just had to kind of answer that without without too much context I, I would say just being a being being a sponge you know trying to absorb as much as you can trying to you know even if you came into a position you know let's say you, you started at a big company and they have some kind of rotational program and you know you really had your aspirations on I really want to focus on development um you know, still being open-minded and, and really absorbing what you can about leasing and about asset and property management, um, making you the most well-rounded individual you can, um, I think is going to help sort of launch you forward quicker. Um, you know, just the idea of only focusing on kind of the development topics, you know, you'll get, you'll certainly get something out of that, but being willing to, to expand your horizons more beyond that as well, I think is something really important. Great advice. Thanks, David. Sure. All right. So Walter said, thank you for the tips. I'm interested in moving forward with my career by disrupting my current role. Much appreciated. So that's awesome. Great. Good, good right. luck. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, Tamika. Hey, Tamika. Um, so she's asking, can you give more ideas on using your transferable skills for CRE on your resume or LinkedIn? It's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in some ways, um, you know, sort of 
capsulizing that and putting it in writing can be a little more challenging than talking about it. Um, but I think to the extent that, um, you know, I, I think a big part of that, at least on the resume, you know, may be a function of tailoring a given resume for a certain position. I mean, the last thing you want to do is, is create, you know, 10,000 different resume versions and have one for each job. But if you're finding that you're applying for, let's say, you know, you're, let's, I'm, I'm going to use an example. Say you're a salesperson, you're doing pharmaceutical sales, and you decide you want to move into real estate and you want to look for leasing jobs. Um, you know, creating a resume that really highlights the things that you've done, the things you have done in your pharmaceutical sales job that you think match up well with a leasing role is important. So what does that include? Market analysis, um, you know, understanding kind of a trade area or a given you know, region that you're going to operate in. Um, what does the competition look like? Um, that's a huge part of the leasing game, particularly you know, on the landlord side where you're trying to identify prospects for your shopping center. You know, are, is your real estate better than someone else's? Are you out positioned? Um, you know, understanding and being comfortable cold calling and prospecting for potential new leads. Um, you know, being able to highlight those things, even if it's not in the context of commercial leasing, if you've done that in a prior role, another sales role, I think hopefully, you know, the, the company that's going to be hiring you can make that connection between those two things. Definitely. That's some great advice, really. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, that just takes some inter introspection and seeing like, what have I done over the last few years? And then just taking the time to sit down and really see, you know, how can I project this in a way that is attractive for an employer that's seeking this one particular role. So. Yeah. And, and also just, just getting really clear and educated on, you know, what is the role, the role that I'm looking at, you know, what does this person do on a day-to-day -day basis? You sure. know, what does that job description look like? Is there somebody that can help me understand, okay, this is what your day-to-day -day is going to really look like in this role so that you can kind of go and say, okay, bullet point one, I've done these two things that are similar. Bullet point two, maybe not as much. Bullet point three, here's a couple of things I've done. So you can really target those things. And so you're the resume that you're sharing, you know, even if it's not in the same field, the hiring manager can, can kind of think, okay, I can see you doing this role and doing it well. 100%. And, and reach out to people that are different companies that do the same role on LinkedIn and talk to them and see what their day-to-day -day operations are. And then gives you some framework off which to go off. All right. So, all right. So we have Leonard. Hey, Leonard. Good seeing you. Uh, I live in Northern California and would like to become part of commercial real estate networking, uh, commercial real estate networking groups since I have a background in underwriting, residential, and commercial lending. Would like learning more on commercial real estate since that's where, where I love to love doing since, since I enjoy community involvement. So that's awesome. Yes. And I, I, like, like David mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of different commercial real estate organizations out there that you can get involved with. There's a lot of national ones, you know, ULI, you know, CCIM, he was mentioning NAOP. There's various other ones, just depending on what your, you know, what your interest is, is in, if it's industrial or retail or, you know, office, et cetera. And there may, there may also be, you know, some, some, if you want to start on a little bit of a smaller scale, there might be also some specific groups, you know, in Northern California. So if you're in the Bay area, for example, there may be some there in Sacramento, um, you know, in further Northern California, you know, you might just want to jump on the internet and see if you can find, you know, some smaller groups and then maybe start building outward from there. Um, Cause I think, you know, it's a little more daunting with these national organizations because there's just so many people if you start local, um, you know, I think you have a better chance of making a bigger impact there. Awesome advice. All right, Andrew. Andrew would uh, share that he's always looking for new talent. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you're in Arizona, you, you feel like <laughs> yeah, it's a good fit. Awesome. All right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to say this. Um, need made. Uh, so hopefully I didn't butcher that. I'm sorry if I did. Uh, but he said, Hey there, uh, just, just want to find out what options you guys would suggest for new graduates from, from the property and related sectors from our other countries. How much harder is it for poorly experienced foreigners to find roles in your market? Yeah. I mean, th thank you for the question. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, it is harder um, for sure. And I think Part of it is um, just a lack of familiarity, you know, between 
how real estate works here versus how it works elsewhere. I mean, even, even in a country that has as many similarities to us as England, um, just, just learning and hearing about how they handle property transactions there is remarkably different. So, you know, if you're from, you know, Asia or Africa or, or countries in, in South America, uh, I can only imagine, you know, how much the differences are. So I think the key for someone in, 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 in the position that you described is coming in and trying to find as much, um, as many educational resources about American real estate and how transactions work, how, you know, you can get licensed in whatever state you're living in if you want to try to become or get your real estate license, you know, joining some of these organizations that may have certification opportunities. The, the more that you can do to, to sort of eliminate the potential bias of the fact that you're that you you aren't familiar, you know, with the traditions and how they, you know, how real estate is conveyed and whatnot here, the more you can do to show that you, you know, you picked up that information. Um, I think the better off you're going to be in terms of landing a position. Phenomenal advice. That's awesome. All right, Leonard, he said, for persons who are not licensed for commercial real estate sales, how does one become licensed individually? Yeah. And so I think Andrew did answer it. So each state has their own individual requirements, but some firms will help you with that. So that's exactly right. Like here in Kentucky, for example, there's one license to sell both residential and commercial real estate. I don't know if that's the case all across the nation, but you know. That's yeah, that's when networking becomes really important, you know, for you to yeah. get your individual salesperson's license and to be able to hang that and, and it's sort of that expression just sort of means have another a bigger brokerage firm hold that for you. Mm -hmm. You're not you're not necessarily working for them, but you're they're holding on to your license so that, you know, to the extent there's ever an issue, um, you know, there's a, a licensed real estate broker that can be contacted in, in that kind of situation. But yeah, I think Andrew's probably the one who's and, and Raphael are probably the ones who are more well-versed on that than I would be. For sure. All right. Okay. Any other questions? I'm checking Facebook as well. We've had several people tuning in. No questions so far. Do you have, do you have anything that you think I should have asked you that maybe I didn't? <laughs> no, I'm, I just always like posing that question because sometimes they, someone has like a, a particular thing that they think is extremely important to share, which I may have or may not have asked. So. No, I mean, I think, I mean, I think your questions were all really comprehensive as it related to the process, um, you know, of, of how we work, particularly with candidates, which I figured was going to be probably the more important aspect of of this, I, I will say a couple things just sort of related to search firms generally, since I think some of you may have had some experience working with a recruiter, some of you may not have. Um, first and foremost, um, 95 to 99% of the time, you know, there is not an exclusive relationship. So just because you're working with me, because you saw uh, an interesting opportunity on my website, that does not prevent you at all from working with any other search firm or pursuing any other opportunities. This, this is, um, you know, we are one of what can be many resources for you in helping with a search. And so I would say if any recruiter comes to you and says, you know, you're locked in with me, um, you know, be very cautious about that. Um, I do know that there are some organizations that, that will specifically represent you and then present your information to a lot of different companies. That's kind of a different model than what we do, where we, we work for the individual companies or the, the companies that are out there. But I would just be very wary in terms of, of anybody that, that that either asks you for money or says that it's an exclusive relationship. Just be, be very cautious about that because that, that might not be kosher. Awesome. Great, great, great caution there. That's awesome. Okay. Well, if anyone, no other questions? Okay. Awesome. Well, first I think off, there thanks. was, sorry, Raphael. I think oh, there, there was one more that, yeah. that just popped up. Oh, okay. So, so is it Stanford? I believe there's one, well, I think, oh. uh, in, in, in demande, uh, in demande. Okay. Let's, yeah. So we'll have, if I may ask the last question for the development companies and investors you work with, what proportion of the, oh, are, how many are open offshore investment, I guess, is what his question was. Oh, yeah. I, I honestly can't speak to that, to be, to be sure. honest with you. I just, I, that's not generally information they share with me. Yeah, um, that would make sense. But, but again, you know, I think it's just a function of networking and, and finding out who might be. Um, 
and then Stanford, I guess, was our question there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have Stanford be the last question just because we want to make sure that, that we, we end in the appropriate time. So currently, so Stanford asks currently with Marcus and Milchap with pro with product type of mis mixed use multifamily to sim simply my question from earlier to simplify my question from earlier, do you guys have any tips on standing out in a shop of that size with a fast, with a fast paced environment? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that, that's a really great question. And one that I think, um, you know, probably we all, we all would want to know in, in any job that we're working on, um, you know, and, and Raphael, you know, in his role probably has the same experience. I mean, I, I think, a lot of times it's production, um, you know, your ability to get deals done, uh, your ability to, um, you know, bring in commissions, if it's at a brokerage world, if you're in-house somewhere, you know, bring in leases or development deals or whatever. Um, I'd say beyond that, though, you know, some of the intangible things in terms of, you know, being a really good teammate, being somebody who, you know, works well and, and you know, especially if you're working in kind of a partnership situation where, you know, the sum of you and your partner ends up being greater than you know, each of you individually. I think, you know, that's also an attribute that a lot of companies are looking for. Some of these, like, I guess in sports, they call them, you know, glue guys or gals where you're, you're the, you're kind of helping to keep a cohesive team together. So, you know, it, I don't think it's always production. Um, but I do think that's, you know, for better or for worse is a big part of it. Great, great advice there. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we have all the questions that we, we had answered. So again, David, I really appreciate you stopping by today and sharing your insights with the group. I know a lot of people got out of this, a lot out of this, and we've also been recording this as well. So this will be able to be viewed in perpetuity uh, as far <laughs> as, <laughs> well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's, yeah, it's there you go. to do it. Yeah, of course. So it, for, for those of individuals who have been listening to this or watching this, that uh, want to learn more about you or, or get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Um, we've got a you know, website, uh, www.polineassociates.com. Um, my email address is just david at polineassociates.com or probably the easiest thing is since we've been hyping up LinkedIn, it just go to my LinkedIn profile. It's just David Pauline and uh, feel free to send me a message and give me your contact information. We can set up a call. Um, you can share a resume with me that way, whatever, whatever's easy. And, um, you know, whether, you, whether you're in need of your recruiting help today or in five years or, or never, um, just, you know, always good to network and interact and, and you know, meet new people. For sure. Yeah. And we'll be including that. So for those of you guys who are watching this on YouTube or listening to this in a podcast format, we're going to be including this in the show notes as well. So if you need to get in contact with David, you can do that through the description below. So Again, thank you guys so much for stopping by. It's always a pleasure to see you all, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks so much for having me. See you guys. Okay.